Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and this is Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Your home for edifying, provocative, and fun conversations among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me. We talk about faith and politics and all kinds of topics that really matter in our culture. So if you're tired of all the screamers out there taking all the oxygen out of the room and you want to join us and taking some of that space back, you'll love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. Hey, Corey here. Just wanted to give you a heads up of what we'll be doing here over the next couple of weeks. Today's episode is what's called a feed drop. As you might have noticed over the last couple of months, we've been doing promos for friendly podcasts that are sort of in the same space. It's for other folks who are creating great content that we really believe in and we support and we think that you'd appreciate as well. So today's podcast is just, again, a feed drop of friends of ours, Josh Bertram and Will Wright have this great podcast. You've heard them on here. We've had them as guests here. Um, Jessica and I were guests on their program. We've read uh, promos for them uh, to, to point you in the direction of their show. And we thought it might be a good idea for you to hear a whole episode of their show. And this episode is an interview they did with Amanda Carpenter, one of my favorite voices in the public square right now. She is with The Bulwark, one of the platforms that we follow, the, the independent media platforms that we follow. And um, she's a political columnist, a CNN contributor. She wrote a book called Gaslighting America, which they talk about on the interview. Uh, Gaslighting America, why we love it when Trump lies to us. And she has an interesting background. She was a speechwriter for South Carolina Senator Jim DeMint, uh, communications director for Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, but, you know, and a lot of these folks have such interesting backgrounds and now they're the voice of principle and reason. And we love to hear more from them. And um, yeah, so I hope you'll enjoy today's episode, which is, again, a feed drop of faithful politics with Josh Bertram and Will Wright. And then over the next couple of weeks, I'll do a couple more in case you missed it of um, of TPNRs. So uh, be looking for those. I think we'll drop one on Thursday the 7th and then a couple more next week. So yeah, that's what I'll be doing over the next couple of weeks. Hope you enjoy Faithful Politics. Look them up. They do great interviews and we'll be doing some more of these over the coming months where we'll be doing feed drops of other programs that we really believe in that are in this same space of just taking back the public square for you know, folks who aren't the screamers, folks who are, you know, rational centrists. And yeah, hope hope you enjoy this one. And uh, we'll be coming back at you with some great upcoming episodes. So we have we have one interview with a fellow named Ali Nurani um, that will be coming up in later this month. And we have another one that uh, an interview that we did with Miles Taylor, who was chief of staff of um, the Department of Homeland Security and the Trump administration, and later was infamous with an anonymous op-ed that he wrote for the New York Times, then expanded it into a whole book. Really interesting interview. So we got those coming up, but enjoy today's feed drop with Faith, the guys from Faith Politics and Amanda Carpenter. A couple in case you missed it over the next couple of weeks. 
coming back at you with more TPNR stuff in a couple weeks. Make sure to give my dad a five-star review. Get, make sure to like and subscribe to his YouTube. Thank, thank you for listening and enjoy the, the show. show. <laughs> You know, what's really funny is I've had a number of people, a lot of people know, you know, where I stand on Trump through the years, pretty steadfast against him. And after January 6th, I've had people come to me privately and just say, you know, I just was waiting for this to be over. I thought once we got this certified, it would be over. And now it's worse than ever. Like everyone was just waiting for this problem to solve itself. Trump would just exit stage left and they could just kind of fall back into it. And that's not what happened. Hey, welcome, Faithful Politics listeners. Um, we um, have a special guest this week. Um, we have Amanda Carpenter, who is a CNN uh, political contributor, commenter, and she is also the author of a book called Gaslighting America, Why We Love It When Trump Lies to Us. Um, and we will be talking about a whole wide range of issues today with with uh, Amanda. And uh, we just want to thank her for being on the show. Welcome, Amanda. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yes, welcome. <laughs> and you know, Will, I thought you were going to say I was the special guest. <laughs> You're always special. <laughs> You're always special, Josh. Amanda, I feel like we should be like bowing down and like, I don't know, paying homage or something. Is that... Is, I mean, if you love that? it, it sounds a little weird. <laughs> I'll think about it. It, no, it no. is weird. You know, that 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 should be the new motto for our show. Just, just keep it weird, you know? Yeah. Uh, keep it weird. But um but yeah, so so thanks Amanda for for being here. Um uh, we we brought you or we invited you on the show because we we wanted to hear from, you know, a really really um informed uh conservative you know, about, about what does it mean to be a conservative or a Republican kind of in a post-Trump um, age? And I'm, I'm sure you probably get this asked a lot of you. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry to sort of dub you kind of the, you know, the, the speaker, the rational voice for all of the Republican Party, but, um, but I, I'd really love, you. <laughs> I'd, 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 I wanted to, to kind of get your thoughts on it, but before we, we do that, I thought maybe you can tell us what you think um, being a conservative or being a Republican um, means to you. I mean, it's complicated because of Trump. It used to be much simpler, right? Like I thought most people traditionally believed in the same things, you know, mainly based on things like decency and respect for rule of law, um, understanding the purpose of, you know, federal government when it comes to protecting people, um, but that that just all got scrambled. And so I, I guess, although national politics have been messy in terms of what I think and how I approach problems hasn't changed because I didn't come into politics through a, you know, traditional wave the red, red flag kind of way. Um, you know, I am who I am. And I think you guys are who you are. Right. And that hasn't been changed by Trump because you if you weren't the type of person who just said, well, I like Republicans because I want to cheer for the red team, you know, that that's where it gets scrambled. It's really the partisan politics where you get in such a deep hole where 
just because someone like, I don't know, Marjorie Taylor Greene wins the Republican nomination in a very red place, you're going to vote for her no matter what. Like, that should not be the case. And so I guess, you know, what I'm trying to be kind of militant about is like, how do we how do we get back to things like character and decency that aren't scored by a scorecard put out by the Heritage Foundation? Because we don't vote on like, oh, hey, are you a good person? Like, there's no score for that. And so I think that's something we really have to try to figure out. But if you kind of know who you are and you know you need people of good character to be stewards of our country and government, it, it isn't complicated. That makes a lot of sense. I, um, you, you know, in your in your book, Amanda, which I was was so good, I, I found myself laughing um, more than once, especially at all the quotes of Trump at the end. Oh boy, um, yeah, that and was, how much that was he said, <laughs> sad, bad, mad, glad. I don't know. He, he uses all the uh, the 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 really descriptive words. Um, <laughs> but um, what I was surprised at, and I don't remember the exact uh, names of the people, but just to your point, like the people that were running Republican, and then they didn't get the nominee, and they just went and started running Democrat. <laughs> Like, I don't know, like the next uh, session or something like that, like like they basically switch sides without even batting an eye. And that's like a common thing. Is is that is that true? What do you mean? A common, which which part are you talking about? Um, it was in the beginning, like there were people that the. Um, oh, man, I'm trying to remember their actual names and we don't have to spend too much time on it, especially because I don't remember their names, but they were there and then um, they didn't get the nominee. It was like Rubio did or or something happened. And then they ended up running for Democrat instead of Republican. Like, oh, yeah. Di- Charlie Chris. That happened in Florida. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a couple of times that's happened where they just flipped. And I guess, you know, our, you know, there's other people that change parties. And maybe there's arguments for like, you know, Lisa Murkowski, when she didn't get the Republican nomination in Alaska a few years ago, she ran as an independent. Um, But yeah, it is, it is interesting. I think before Trump, people tried to just flip parties more easily. Um, But that was, that, that did make things very complicated. (laughs) Yeah. Now, now is, is conservatism and, and being a Republican, is that, is that, concept or philosophy still grounded in kind of a, a set of beliefs, you know, that, um, because when I, when I was growing up, I, I always thought, okay, well, conservatives, Republicans, they, they stand for second amendment, they're pro-life. They, you know, that there's like a, a whole like laundry list of things that you're supposed to believe when you become a Republican. And I'm curious, like, are those, are those values still there as you see them? Well, what's interesting is like, you know, I guess, you know, five or 10 years ago, I probably would have, because I was never a party person, even though I did work for some politicians, like I'm sort more of a conservative than a Republican, because I don't always want to do the partisan politics. Um, Because to me, that had more philosophical meaning and how we approach problems that aren't always agreed upon by the party, like when it comes to spending or whatever, right. But now it's hard to say I'm a conservative because that's become so identified with Trump. And I don't think he represents conservative values at all when it comes to his finances, how he runs his businesses, uh, his marriages, just how he treats people. And so when you have the whole conservative movement, like the Heritage Foundation and all these groups fall in line behind Trump, like, I don't even know what that means anymore. 
Um, I still know who I am. I still know what I would like to see happen. But all these groups that used to say they were for that have just given it all up for Trump. And maybe they think they can just go back to him, go back to that. You know, what's really funny is I've had a number of people, a lot of people know, you know, where I stand on Trump through the years, pretty steadfast against him. And after January 6th, I've had people come to me privately and just say, you know, I just was waiting for this to be over. I thought once we got this certified, it would be over. And now it's worse than ever. Like everyone was just waiting for this problem to solve itself. Trump would just Mm. exit stage left and they could just kind of fall back into it. And that's not what happened. That is not what happened. And so I think there's a real reckoning going on among those people that were just really hoping for things to change on their own without really having to dig in and do the work. Um, mm-hmm. so that's where we are. Oh, I thought, I thought he would be going and, um, I thought he would be going and, and golfing. Wouldn't that by be nice? Now. <laughs> Go golf. Go watch Fox and OAN call in to Fox, to the curvy couch. Like do that. Go live life, please. But <sighs> yeah, well, it's, it's funny because, um, and when we were going to talk about, about this a little bit later in your book, but in, in, in your book, I'm going to, I'm going to read a, um, just a, a quick section where, um, you say impeachment, you say, I hate to break it to you, but even if Trump is impeached a slim possibility, historically, he's not going to give up his media megaphone. Doesn't matter if he's impeached, if he's censured, or if he loses his 2020 reelection in a landslide, he's not going to go away. And I just, just thought that, uh, like, how did, how did you how did you predict that? <laughs> you yeah, know? I mean, funny. like, <laughs> you know, that book came out in 2018, but I started writing it at the uh, Democratic convention. That's and amazing. I, I, it's funny. I pitched it because I was like gaslighting America, and this will just be the story about how Trump blew himself up and blew up the Republican Party. But Hillary Clinton will win; it'll be fine. And uh-huh. I had a couple of meetings with publishers, and they're just like, "Nah, Trump is going to go away." Like this book, like we don't need to do a book like this. I'm like, okay, well, I put down my outline, I just put it on the shelf. And then the publisher came back after he won and was like, um, do you still think you might have a point? I'm like, yes, actually. <laughs> yes. Duh. More than yeah. ever. So, yeah. so in your book, you call it Gaslighting America. And I just think this is so. I mean, because we're going to talk about the conservatism and, and the book, they all mix together. Um, what, what is gaslighting? So, so when I first read it, I didn't even know what gaslighting was. I had to, I had to look it up. I just thought, what does it mean? Just like lighting gas or like burning someone? What, what are you talking about? So can you, what, what is gaslighting America? And, and, and then you have a process in there and I want to give like people like, um, maybe like uh, wet their appetite a little bit to read yeah. the book. Cause I think it's worth reading. So, so the basic premise, like what is gaslighting? And and how did Trump do it? Yeah, sure. I mean, gaslighting is a term, it, it gets misused a lot. But when someone is gaslighting, it's like more than a lie. It's not just me lying to you. It's creating a whole alternate reality where you are so overwhelmed by the lies. Like one of two things usually happens. You either kind of go crazy, yelling, at the, yelling fighting back. Like, you know, imagine somebody came up to you on the street. It was like, the sky is green. And you're like, no, it's not. It's blue. They're like, no, it's like chartreuse green. Look up. And then you'd be like, what is going on? But now imagine if they have the whole 
you know, MAGA media universe behind them, screaming in your face, saying, it's it green. is green. And if you don't admit it's green, we're all going to die or I'm going to fight you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like, And so you can fight that and start screaming. And then they say, look, she's hysterical. She's, you know, who can trust her? Or you just maybe kind of say like, you know what? If you squint a little bit, it does Might look a green. little bit green. Like, I'll just go along with it because it looks like those guys are having fun. And maybe I can get a job saying the sky is green. Um, <laughs> and so that just seemed to keep happening, especially with how Trump would play the media. And, and then there was this whole idea of like, oh, well, Trump doesn't really know what he's doing. I'm like, he knows exactly what he's doing. This guy grew up manipulating the New York tabloids and media. He, he knows how to do this. And so I started watching him kind of put, cause it's not just a lie. It's a whole narrative that sucks people in. And there's just, he has these little tricks and he does it every time. And once you see how his tricks work, you can't unsee it. It's like, he never, the first thing to know is that when he comes up with something like, you know, the big election lie, the election was rigged. He never comes up with that on his own. He kind of picks up something that's in the internet or the tabloids or people are talking about, and he just puts it out there. Oh, people are saying, you like should stakes really look the into claim. this. Mm-hmm. Stakes the claim. And then, so he gets that going. And then soon enough, he just does this thing like, oh, I'm just asking questions. Like, I'm just asking questions. I call this advance and deny, like another stuff they use is where he'll call into Fox and Friends and just like, oh, well, we shouldn't. I don't know if Barack Obama was born in Kenya, but don't you think people should look into it? <laughs> and then that gets people looking into it. And so he, he does these little tricks. And then he, when the, once the media starts to lose interest in the story, he'll promise more information is coming. He builds suspense like, oh, I have a team. I'm sending a team of investigators to Hawaii to dig up his birth certificate. Um, and so he, he does these things that just suck people in. And it's so predictable. Um, but the media loves it. Like he is a media creation. He knows exactly how to give them enough to keep the story going, to tantalize people, to say outrageous things that nobody else is saying. And um, as I lay out in the book, I really think his birtherism gambit is the key to understanding to how this works because everyone knew it was wrong. Everybody knew it was outrageous. Um, but he was willing to just kind of dangle a little bit of racism out there to be, to, to control the narrative. And um, in the end, he, he admitted he was wrong. Like people are like, Oh, he never admits he was wrong. Oh, he held a press conference said, Oh yeah, I solved it. I made Barack Obama produce the birth certificate, but he, he declared victory at the end by saying, I solved this problem. Like he always squeezes out a way to claim victory and everyone else is just left sputtering. Like, how can he do that? It's like, he does this with everything every time. It's not surprising. Mm, wow. Uh, well, uh, how does Trump rank kind of on the gaslighting scale compared to other presidents? Oh, I mean, all presidents lie on some level, <laughs> but this is not just lying. Like I said, it's, creating a whole months or years long narrative, right? Um, to engulf public attention, to create winners and losers and to dominate the headlines. And so I, I don't think there's anybody that can possibly compare uh, to the way that Trump has deliberately, deliberately done all this. So I voted for Trump in 2016. I didn't in 2020. I did it in 2016 because of the courts Mm -hmm. And because, and you lay it out very nicely in your book, like this whole tension that especially white males felt 
um, coming into this, especially right white evangelical males, like the culture that I grew up in, the America I grew up in, it's leaving, you know, or it's gone. And I don't know what to do with this. And I don't know, like, I feel this tension I've never felt before. And I lived it like during the Obama um, era. And I, we, we had a podcast where um, someone claimed that it was um, that if like, basically it Trump was white backlash against Obama. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if, if we had a Republican presidential candidate that was African-American and share my values, I for sure would vote for them because I share my values. Um, and, but I, but I felt this tension during the Obama era. What do you mean? You felt like something was building that was legitimate or not legitimate or you didn't know? What I mean is like, I felt this, I felt like my values were under attack. Mm -hmm. That's what I felt like. And during, during the eight years, like so many things that I held on to and assumed like they were just like leaving, like in like with things like same sex marriage and, and like their classical, like conservative hot button issues right now, same sex marriage, you know, abortion, those two things that this transgender issues, all those stuff. Like it felt like everything. And I was just feeling like in this confusion. And then I'm like, well, I see that presidents actually have a lot of influence and they can appoint Supreme court justices. So I'm going to vote for uh, Trump. And so I voted for Trump. I didn't like him from the beginning. I couldn't believe that he was even there. And you just so beautifully laid it out that there's this issue that Trump came in and he came into a vacuum and he, and he took it over and he created this reality. And so like, I couldn't even believe the stuff that he would say, but like, so you really think like he's, it's almost like he's an evil genius. Maybe I shouldn't say that evil, like, or, or genius. He's not using a lot of his power for good. I mean, you know, you got your judges. So, you know, everybody got the judge, but I mean, this was the trade-off. Right. And I think in 2016, a lot of, he played the evangelical community. I mean, straight up. I mean, he, how he got the endorsement from Jerry Falwell, which, you know, looking back on how that went down, there's a lot of questions, right. I don't even want to get into it. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but he knew he needed that voting block and he, you know, to get the nominee nomination away from Ted Cruz, but also to bring him over the edge in 2016. And so when Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz, you know, as we all remember, my former boss blew up the Republican convention, telling people to vote their conscience as a way of like winking, uh, don't vote for Trump. <laughs> um, but the way that he eventually came around was by getting Trump to commit to a list of judges that he would support to the Supreme Court. And so that was a permission slip. That was the permission slip for, um, you know, a lot of FedSOC types, evangelical leaders to say, okay, we, we disagree with Trump. We don't know if we can trust him, but if he picks from this list, if we can get something out of this, we're going to go along with it. And, you know, politics is transactional. I can't sort of disagree with that call because I did not vote for Trump. But at that point, there was the, the hope that, okay, even if he does win, we can get enough people around him to guide him yeah. and insulate him. You know, I didn't think that was likely, but you, you had to kind of like hope that would be true. Yes. Right. And it's, it's incredible that it wasn't, I mean, he's had so many, you know, people like Jim Mattis, you know, people who, who put their feelings aside 
and I think worked in a hellacious workplace. Um, you know, so I give people a pass in the first year, just, you know, you got to try to help the guy. But after that, uh, the writing was on the wall. Wow. Now, now the, the, the Republican party, I, well, I keep hearing that the Republican party is now, you know, the party of Trump. Um, and yeah, I've heard it from a, a bunch of different, you know, high ranking folks. Um, and, and I'm curious, like, is, is that a designation that Republicans should accept? And if, and if not, you know, how does, how does the GOP regain a status, you know, as a, party affiliated with conservative principles and, you know, maybe, um, as a follow on who, who bears the responsibility to, you know, take the party back from Trump, you know, is it McCarthy, McConnell, Romney, Cheney, you know, like who's, who's who's the person that to do that? Um, all those people can play a role, but I just, this is going to be a long, long deal. This isn't something that's going to change by the midterms. I, I mean, I, I see a 10-year horizon. I mean, don't want to get anybody depressed. Um, things can happen very quickly. But right now, the RNC, the state parties, are largely controlled by, you know, Trump-aligned people. Um, and you kind of see this, like, lost cause phenomenon happening, where instead of looking at what happened, losing the House, the Senate, the White House, um, you know, 60-some court cases in a row, they're doubling down and just kind of going on with this mythology of Trump that, you know, the South, the Trump will rise again. Um, Okay. (laughs) But at the same time, I am a little bit hopeful because I mean, I mean, I am hopeful. You have to be because I see cracks like, okay, if we were rewound the tape six months ago, um, every people didn't think Trump would be defeated. Like it was very close. Joe Biden had to play things pretty much perfectly. Um, It was unthinkable that Republicans would lose two Senate seats in Georgia, right? Together on the same day. That's, that's kind of crazy town. Um, And so now what I see, Donald Trump is going to be freezing the field. Who's going to run against him for the Republican nomination? If you are in the so-called Trump lane, you're a Pompeo, a Pence, a Cruz, a Hawley. You're not going to run. You're not going to declare your campaign until Trump says he's out. And that man is not saying he's out unless he goes to jail. So, okay, all, all you boys, Nikki Haley, Christy Noem, you can sit and wait on Trump. Have fun with that. Um, so maybe a new coalition is built. Maybe a new coalition will be built. And I see people who are willing to test that proposition. Um, somebody like Adam Kinzinger, who is going out, raising his own money, because we've got to get out of the structure they've built. We've got to get out of this Trump coalition where it's based on rural, white, men and just juicing the vote in rural areas and not even trying to compete in cities and suburbs. Like that is not a winning model. Um, and so uh, Republicans may have to lose a couple of races trying, trying to figure this out. But now I see people who are, are willing to try and think about this, who wouldn't even entertain the, entertain the idea six months ago. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if, if, you know, behind closed doors, are there a lot of, uh, Republicans that are, you know, secretly hoping that um, Cy Vance, who just got tech, uh, Trump's tax records, <laughs> you know, is going to. I think Mitch McConnell is openly hoping. <laughs> 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 I mean, it was crazy. What after he voted to acquit Trump for the second time, 
he says, oh, well, he's morally and you know, practically responsible for the insurrection. But yeah. maybe, maybe these criminal prosecutions are coming for the riots or finances. I mean, that's the thing. Everyone, people in positions of power have wanted for the Trump problem to resolve itself, thinking he would just yeah. implode. And he doesn't. So, yeah, eh, go, go. I don't know what's going to happen in the courts. People are getting very excited about it. If we want to see Trump be held accountable in some way, but I've just I've seen that movie too many times before, and I'm just looking for new ways of making better coalitions. I mean, and that's what good candidates do all the time. Barack Obama's coalition in 2008 was not Bill Clinton's coalition. Uh, right. Donald Trump's coalition was not President Bush's coalition. So this this work has to be done anyway. Um, and so let, let's get started. Let's do this now. I I think that's so well said. Um, who who do you think are the bright lights in the Republican Party um, that can lead this? Like uh, McCarthy, mm. McConnell, <laughs> Romney, Cheney. Yeah, Romney. Who knew that guy? I mean, I mean, I don't want to say who knew that guy, but delightfully. <laughs> delightfully uncompromising on some things. Um, so that that's refreshing. Um, I, I see, I see good things happening with the young freshman guys who have come in like a, like a Meyer from Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, Kinsinger, who's really getting out there and just saying, YOLO, I'm going to do this. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, every time Marjorie Taylor Greene pops her head up, he's like, <laughs> sit down. Uh, so that's great. And Liz Cheney, um, she she has got a stiff backbone. I watching her in that yes. press conference with McCarthy the other day, where they mm-hmm. put the question to <laughs> yeah. the, to McCarthy about should Trump speak at CPAC, and he's like, "Oh, of course, rah rah, love Trump." Um, and then they ask Liz Cheney, and she's just like, "It's a free country. Go speak at CPAC, but you shouldn't be leader of the party." Bam. <laughs> I mean, and she didn't flinch. She did yeah. not, and that's kind of what I. That's what people need to do. She's getting a lot of kudos for being courageous, but. It ain't that hard. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard. And at, by the way, people carrying Trump flags invaded your workplace and tried to, to kill people. So maybe, <laughs> maybe you need to find your backbone. And she found it. So, and you know, leaders have a way of finding followers and we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, that, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and I, I joke with a lot of my friends, you know, that people should really be afraid of her father starts inviting people to go hunting you know um, <laughs> yeah. um <laughs> like you should deny not don't go <laughs> it's not going to end how you think it is um so so the um um in your book you you mentioned something uh, that i i, I want to ask you about and and if if i'm being honest i've i've kind of been waiting to ask you this for for a long time um, <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. You, 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 you mentioned something. It, this, this has to do with, um, um, you know, the episode where the Trump campaign actually gaslit yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you want and, to talk uh, about the worst moment of my life? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's in the book. Don't feel bad. I, it's out there. Okay. Uh, well, well, we, we won't we won't necessarily get into all the details, and, and maybe that'll just be the teaser for people to buy the book, so they yes, kind of know what we're book. talking about. Get the juicy um, details. Um, but 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 in, in in it, you 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 wrote something about 
you know, um, your friend, um, who sent you like a, a set of Psalms, um, mm-hmm. to, to, um, I believe her name was Brooke, um, Bacac, Basak, yeah, it's a hard name. Yeah. She was our, uh, legislative director, a wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful woman. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you wrote, uh, while I was standing, while I was still standing in my walk-in closet, she messaged me a pair of Psalms. I sat down quietly and reflected on them both before rising again, then trying my best to put my faith in God and reminding myself that he is control. Um, but dreading every second of what was to come. Um, I, I was, I was curious, what were those Psalms that yeah. she sent you? Yeah, I went and, um, it was Psalm 62. Mm-hmm. Um, about, uh, Lord being my rock and my salvation and I shall not be disturbed at all. And I just kind of knew I had to go through this interview to explain something I never did, never happened. How the Trump campaign was saying horrible things about me, um, on national TV. It's not something I ever wanted to do, but being, I was in this position where I was not in control of these events. I was being smeared. Um, my reputation was contingent on other people who knew me sticking up for me. Like I I couldn't do anything about this. Like it was all made up, but I had to kind of center myself and just say, I am, I'm not going to be disturbed. I know I'm clear. I know I'm I'm good. And I'm just going to walk this path. Um, and you know, I shall not be disturbed at all. And so that Mm. really, really centered me. And the other one was, um, uh, 59 about being delivered from enemies, which I think she, she gave me to rile me up a little bit and give me the fortitude that I needed to, uh, drive that drive. And you know, walk through the CNN studios, everybody looking at me, asking me what was wrong. And, you know, did I need a divorce lawyer, which I most certainly did not. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, but that was, that was a moment. I mean, she was a woman of faith. Um, a lot of us in the cruise office were people of faith and she kind of knew, just, just what to say without crying, um, but just saying, you know, you got this. Just grit your teeth, get through it. God's got this for you. We got this for you. Do what you need to do, and don't and don't worry about saying everything perfect perfectly if you just speak your truth. Um, and so yeah, I still get emotional thinking about that. But yeah. um, yeah, it really helped me. It really, really helped me. So if you ever have a friend in need. <laughs> but I didn't ask her for help. She just knew what yeah. was going on and said, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm just emailing this. I'm here if you need me. And that's all I needed is all I needed. After that, I shut off my phone and just got in the car and went. And that was that. And it, it was okay. It was mm-hmm. okay. It really was. So, so, so what you're saying is that if, if we ever have any friends that get smeared by the Trump campaign, those are the Trump smear songs. <laughs> <laughs> These are your, your gaslight prevention songs yeah. <laughs> or no, That's... it wouldn't gaslight prevention, gaslight. Uh, yeah, mitigation. Stop dropping psalms. <laughs> I'm gonna put that on a shirt. <laughs> Dude, that is good. Yeah, that I'd wear that good. shirt. <laughs> uh, well, well, you you don't hear a lot of people, you know, in the media, a lot of people in politics talk about you know their faith in a real way, you know, and and um, you know, one of the things I really enjoy about doing this podcast in particular is. Um, Josh is uh, a pastor and he's conservative. I consider myself a Christian and a believer and I uh, ascribe more to liberal and, and Democrat type philosophies. And, um, you know, we, we 
call this podcast Faithful Politics because we we see that there's importance actually in faith, you know, and politics, regardless of, you know, what, what party affiliation you, you wear. And, and unfortunately, you know, most, most Christians seen kind of in, in the media or in politics are oftentimes viewed as very crazy. Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, um, you know, for, for lack of sounding too overly judgmental, sometimes they are. Um, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm really curious on, you know, what, what your role or, or what, what you view as sort of like the role of the Christian church, um, you know, kind of in politics um, and even in the Trump era, um, I, like David French has written a whole bunch of really great stuff mm-hmm. that I just absolutely love about how he kind of views Christianity kind of in the Trump era. No, but I'd love to kind of get your your take, you know, as a person of faith, you know, how do, how does it sort of influence, you know, your decisions? How do you see it, um, you know, influence other people's decisions um, in the political world? Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, faith has always just been a centering thing for me. I mean, I just feel like I have a, such a direct connection with God, you know, I can just call calling them anytime. And it's just like, yeah. it's a two way street. I mean, I, I really feel that way. And you talk about how Christians get depicted in the media. It's like, this happens, I don't know, every six or 12 months where someone, and I remember this vividly, I think with Michelle Bachman, who um, I forget said in a speech or something about how she talks to God and God talks to her. And like, yeah. And then people kind of went, you know, like, whoa, crazy lady voices in her head. Yeah. And I was like, no, that's faith is a two way street. I mean, it's, you talk to God and maybe you see things or think about them. I mean, maybe other people call it meditation or whatever, but a lot of people think they have a direct living relationship with God. That is not unusual. Yes. And so stuff like that comes up quite a bit. And I think it just comes from a place of, you know, I, w- I want to say liberals in the media wanting to look at evangelicals and people who line up behind, you know, quote unquote, right-wing politicians and thinking they don't actually believe it. It's all an act. They just do this to get control over people. It's not real. Mm. And you know what? There, there are bad actors that, that do put on a show. We've all seen that, but we also know that it's, you know, it, it goes a little bit of both ways, but trying to lump everybody in that same box where this is all pretend and we're trying to take control. And Oh, by the way, the people that do mean it are crazy because you can't talk to God and there aren't angels floating in the sky and, you know, you guys are on LSD or something. Um, and so it just, it comes from a place of not understanding and also wanting to depict people that you disagree with in such a negative way. Um, on the other hand, I will say, I know a lot of people in the media, you know, at CNN that I work with who are people of faith, who do, who totally get it, who go to church every Sunday or they go to their synagogue, you know, all the time, you know, it is a part of their life. But I think a a lot of people, I don't want to say aren't afraid to show it, but just don't know how, like, there's not a lot of opportunities to talk about God when we're always talking about politics. Um, and a lot of people don't want to have that discussion because it does become so politicized. And I believe this, you believe that, and it, you know, why, are, why would we do this here? And so it's a difficult thing. Um, but you know, when, when you look to find good things, they, they, they appear. And I found that everywhere I go, where I find other Christians or people, of, you know, different dom- denominations where we kind of believe the same things, um, and, and there's just, because of that, 
there's a mutual respect and it's always better. It's always better that way. Um, so that is a really meandering answer. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. No, it's great. I love it. I mean, I know that I share the same kind of, um, of sense as you do. I feel like I hear from God quite a bit. I mean, we came and planted a church, started one in, um, in Richmond, Virginia. I, I actually grew up in, um, near Washington, DC, um, my dad was a pastor in that area and was a, a leader in a, in a denomination there, um, a national uh, assemblies of God um, was the nomination, and he was leader there. And I, I grew up in the D.C. area, and and uh, and and grew up in you know in Fairfax County, um, and in the school system there, and had to balance my faith and you know, and that like that microcosm of what you had to do in politics, you know, but I remember the kind of tension that you felt even as a teenager on how you could talk about your faith or anything like that. When so many people like you didn't know, is that person like a closet Christian, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, and, yeah, and are they going to get it? Yeah. Are they going to get it? And, 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 and the tension was, was pretty incredible at times. But when we're thinking about like the the conservative party and 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 just bringing it back to maybe like um, conservatism as we're moving forward, what role do you think Christianity and the evangelical church in general? What what role do you see it having in the Republican Party? Is it waxing? Is it waning? I mean, where is this? What what in your mind since you? Um, are so prophetic, as is clear from your book. What, what in your mind do you see like the role of Christians in the Republican Party or in politics in general in America as we're moving forward? What, what do you think? Well, I, I would say and hope that before you know Christians start thinking about how to use their faith to advance politics, um, put a more focus in just modeling for your friends and your neighbors and your community. I mean, that is really the most important thing. Um, you know, little little platoons uh, of goodness and democracy and all that good stuff <laughs> in your community. I mean, that that that's really what it has to be about. Um, I, I do think it's going to take some time for, you know, the large evangelical organizers to come to grips with what Trump has meant for the church. Um, you look at these letters, you know, Adam Kinzinger, uh, he posted them from his cousin, which, you know, people are like, oh, why'd you post stuff from your family? Because um, he comes from a Christian family, just talking about how he is um, working for the army of the devil and just really weaponizing faith in a way to ostracize him. And I, I bring that up because I've not experienced that, but I, I know a lot of people who have, who have messaged me over the years saying this Facebook group, you know, I can't go to church. I, I can't be with my church group anymore because they've made it so political and they know yeah. how I feel about Trump. And they, you know, send me chain letters about, you know, having the iron arm of God come down on my head. I mean, scary oh stuff, wow. scary Jeez. stuff. And I I've heard this from more than a few people, um, usually women who are the quiet ones, um, in their groups and they are just so upset. So upset. I know a woman who she, she, her and her husband moved. I mean, the church was their life um, and they left Virginia and uh, went to South Carolina. And she said, you know, we have, um, you know, grandson or something down there, but that, that's not why she moved. 
they could have driven down. Um, but because those relationships were destroyed and there was this, I, I think that's something that's been happening um, on a broader scale. And I think that's why Adam put those letters out because it's not just him. Okay. And I'm not saying that's all the churches by any means, but, but it's something that happened. Um, and so I don't know the best way to rectify that because it's something that's happened very quietly. I mean, even in a Virginia 10, I don't know if you guys know Denver Riggleman, he used to be the congressman. They're sort of by Liberty university. Mm. And, um, he, um, he officiated a same sex uh, marriage, which got him in trouble with a lot of the uh, church groups there. But th- it wasn't about that. It became like, you know, this pedophile cabal thing, mm. letters again. It just, it's really, I mean, I've seen, I've seen it. Um, tough, tough, tough stuff coming from church groups in those areas. And he didn't know how to deal with it. Now he's doing a, a lot of stuff dealing with misinformation, but, but that, that's something to track. Um, and it's very, it, it's worrisome because not only is it, you know, bad for communities, um, it drives out good people um, who, who want to be a part of the church, um, but are just so uncomfortable by, by that kind of thing. I mean, I, I totally agree. I, even when Will, so I felt like God asked me to do a podcast. I'm hey, one of those weirdos who thinks that. <laughs> I know. I, I feel like one of those weirdos that hears from God, you know, that you're talking about. And, and, and then Will invites me to do this and he's like, well, I'm pretty liberal. You're pretty conservative. We should do a podcast. You want to do a podcast? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And, um, and I literally, so we had to raise support, um, for coming here and planting, um, like financial support. And I literally was afraid at times to say, I actually said that Jesus would vote for Trump, like, um, in, in a very <laughs> kidding way. Um, and that really offended some people, um, yeah. and, and other people <laughs> like loved it. Um, because Will asked me who Jesus would vote for. Okay. Well, you asked the question. What'd you, would you think you're going to get? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, but I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to lose people on my support team because I, I'm not praising Trump. Oh, right. Yeah. Like I literally felt that like deep tension. Like, uh, if I say this is like, if I really say what I think, am I just going to lose? people like how is this going to affect me and i felt that tension that you're talking about it's so real and so many people are feeling it yeah it's it's too bad but um you know i i I hope there can be healing uh because i have to (laughs) damn yeah now now have you uh have you um ever read the book um the bible and the ballot by tremper longman no i haven't Um, yeah it sounds interesting it's extremely, I mean, it's extremely, um, insightful. Um, uh, we, we had him on the show just a couple weeks ago, I think, cause we're in, in March, we're, we're doing a series called March for life where we're looking at a couple different issues from a, from various perspectives like abortion and death penalty and so on and so forth. Uh-huh. So, so he, he, he wrote a section in there about abortion and, um, we were interviewing him just about like, you know, how we kind of reach some of the conclusions and, and, and I'll be honest, this is, this is a bit of a preview because we haven't released it yet, but um, you know, his perception about um, the Bible stance on various issues specifically with abortion, you know, is that the Bible's not clear. Um, he, he and, and he also does uh, Bible translations. I forgot for which, which version. Um, and he said, you know, the Bible, you know, uses hyperbole 
in a lot of different situations um and you know i i wouldn't say misleads but but just doesn't necessarily you know make it very black and white for some issues um with with the exception of um being saved you know he's, he 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 argues that you know the bible's very clear about what you need to do for salvation um but on all these other sort of issues that pertain to you know politics you know whether it's abortion or immigration or uh poverty you know that there isn't necessarily like a direct nexus to a bible verse that you could say aha you know there it is um and uh and 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 i i just thought that was that was really sort of fascinating and i i would encourage anybody that that's a believer and is into politics to read it because it's really kind of transformed my sort of vision as far as, you know, where I stand as a Christian in kind of this political world, because, I mean, he even, he even said um, something that I'll never forget where he talks about uh, religious freedom and, and you would think, okay, this is like a biblical, an old Testament biblical scholar, you know, so his section about religious freedom is just going to be on point. He's going to blast, you know, like, like people. And uh, he's the like, libs, no. the libs. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's going to own gonna the libs. Own the libs. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Don't but, get me in trouble for that one. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, but what he says is, you know, like, like we don't need, like Christianity doesn't need religious freedom to thrive. As a matter of fact, like, is that even biblical? You know, he says, um, in the early Christian, um, days, you know, they were living under severe persecution and, and the faith like thrived. And, um, you know, so he, he argues that there's this misconception that we don't really need religious freedom, you know, like, okay, fine. Like, tell me I can't go to church, you know, like, um, what is that going to do? It's, it's like that scene in star Wars where Obi-Wan's like says, strike me down and I'll be more powerful, you know, than Mm -hmm. you can ever imagine. It's, it's kind of like that. And, and, um, you know, I would, I would highly encourage for, for you to, to take a read of it. And, and I kind of forgot where I was going with this point, but you know, you should read it once you're done. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah. So, so the, um, uh, you're, you said you used to work for Ted Cruz. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm curious on like, you know, and, and, um, was it, uh, Dement used to work for, uh, yeah. 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 How did, how did you, how did you get into kind of like the communications, um, world? Is that, is that, is that something that, you know, you growing up, you always knew that you wanted to be a communications advisor for? No, not at all. Um, (laughs) no. Um, I am from a very small town in Michigan and I ended up going to college, you know, just a DT school on a sports scholarship, ended up burning out my shoulder but always thought I always was interested in writing. Um, I liked essay writing, but thought I would do some kind of sports journalism. That's kind of where I thought I was going. Um, I really thought I might be like a softball pitching coach. That was a position I played um, and could kind of see a nice life for myself working in maybe a regional newspaper and coaching on the side. That, that was kind of where I thought I was going. <laughs> but then I uh, burned out my shoulder um, by pitching every game my freshman year because one pitcher got pregnant, the other, dislocated her shoulder. And so mm. guess what? I uh, pitched every game and now um, my shoulder's lopsided. <laughs> but then after that happened, I kind of had to rethink, well, what, what can I, what do I do now? Um, because my whole identity was wrapped up in being an athlete. Yeah. And 
someone, I had a, a teacher once kind of tell me like, you should check out a debate team, but my school didn't have it. And so I kind of just made this decision to transfer to Ball State University to see if I could join the debate team. It was really like, this isn't working out for me. Let me just try something new. Wow. And, um, you know, I've kind of been on my own since I was 17. And so just packed up the car and knew some friends in Muncie, uh, found a cheap place to live um, with a bunch of foreign exchange students who barely spoke English nice. and uh, went to Ball State and walked in and said, can I join the debate team? I mean, it was really strange. I mean, it's kind of like, that's awesome. Before, um, and I, I did not have a relationship with God that that came later. Mm. Um, that came because I tried everything else <laughs> <laughs> and, and I found what worked. And I mean, my dad, I was always a good kid. I never got in serious trouble, right. but being on your own and really grappling with like, how do I make a safe, stable life for myself? Wow. That's, that's kind of what attracted me to the conservative movement. Like right. family, family is important. Family matters. Like how do I build a life where I can have stability. Um, so I joined the debate team and kind of discovered at that point, like, oh, I think, I think I'm a conservative. And I remember this is how bad I was uh, because again, my life is wrapped up in being an athlete. I was a sophomore in college. And I remember sitting down and Googling what is a Republican? What is a Democrat? Cause I had no idea. I did not know. I did not know. Like we didn't yeah. have cable TV. We didn't get, we got a local paper. I only read it to read about how, how I performed in the last game, <laughs> like literally just skip to that section. Um, so yeah. And so then I discovered like, Oh, this college tuition thing is a problem. I don't have any money for this. I don't, I don't know how I'm even getting these student loans. I'm just signing papers. Um, why does it cost so much? What, what is this money going to? And so then I got it. That was like my case study for government. Like, there's a lot of waste here. Why am I paying for that? Like, I want the Spartan plan. I want the cheap college plan. Like, I don't need a meal plan. I don't need anything. I just need the books. And I got a job at the library where I check them out, photocopy them, and then send them back. Like, I don't think I even bought a college textbook. It's, 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 <laughs> That's it, awesome. It was pretty bad. Um, but I do remember the debate team. I skipped a lot of class because I was working three jobs, but I made every debate practice. Wow. And I loved it. And so through that, um, I got involved with like um, Leadership Institute and other like conservative groups tar that targeted college kids who were interested in this stuff. And I just ate it up. And that's how we went to Washington for the first time for a training group to learn how to start a uh, conservative paper, which I was like, oh, I want to write about this college tuition stuff. And of course, I had no friends because I was just doing work and debate team. Um, and they're like, you should recruit some people and you can start a paper and raise money. I'm like, no, just look, give me a website. It's $10. <laughs> and so that's how I got involved writing and doing politics. It was crazy. It, it, this, I, it was God stuff. It, it would have happened any other way. Like God is like, go to Ball State, go to Washington, start a website. I mean, I didn't come up with this on my own. It was really put in front of me. And yeah. that's all. It's just like the thing with Demint. I was working at the Washington Times. Yeah. Out of the blue, somebody said, would you, would you want to like, Jim DeMint is going to start doing more stuff um, with endorsing primary candidates, uh, this Tea Party thing. Are you interested? And I was kind of even like, I don't know. I'm on Bill O'Reilly once a week. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that turned out great. <laughs> I learned that in once. It's, it's fine. I had a good experience. I don't know about any of the other stuff that happened. Um, but I didn't, you know, it was just put in front of me. 
And it's like, yeah, okay. It was like, go to Ball State, go to Jim DeMint's office. And then Jim DeMint retired to go uh, join the Heritage Foundation. And somebody from the Cruise campaign said, oh, would you, we kind of need somebody to write stuff for Cruise. Are you interested? You know, texted Chip Roy, who's in the house right now. And I said, I don't know. Freshman senators usually don't do anything when they come in. I might want to go back to the Washington Times. Mm. And I was <laughs> five months pregnant. And he said, just, just give it like a couple months. You're pregnant. Like you can have your baby go on maternity leave. If you don't like it, like no problem. Just try it out. I was like, okay. It, it just, it, I didn't do any of this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. I mean, I, I, you connected the dots looking back your 2020 <laughs> vision as to how God brought you where you are. And I think that's amazing. Um, you know, we have a future in front of us in America that feels kind of uncertain right now. Um, I <clears throat> and I wanted to get your 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 take on something. Like we, so when I was reading your book, I I really loved it. I really thought it was intriguing, really well written, funny. Um, it was a great job. I do recommend anyone listening to please pick it up and read it. It's good. And uh, hopefully Amanda can make some money because you'll buy it. So that's yeah, that's what we're hoping. I think it's cheap now on Amazon, a couple bucks. But yeah, so well, uh, well, she'll make you. a few cents from it. So <laughs> just make sure. <laughs> but my question is like, so we have this whole system that obviously, I mean, I think you make a compelling case that Trump did of this gaslighting. What do we do in the future as voters to recognize when we're being gaslit by a candidate? And to and what do we do to kind of protect ourselves? What are you planning to do? I mean, you you here? Should we just listen to you on CNN every day yeah. and then we'll figure it out? I mean, what should what 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 should we do? What should Will and I do? And people listening to to protect ourselves or to be informed as we're moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I guess you can't stop people from lying. No one's going to stop people from being bad actors in politics, in the media, but you, you have to know where your lines are. People have to know where their lines, it's not about like what other people are doing to you. Where are your lines in terms of decency when it comes to you, your family, your church group, and how can you get people to understand why those lines are important? There's a reason why the subtitle of my book is why we love it when Trump lies to us, because a lot of people did understand he was lying, but they liked it. They liked it because it served their purposes. If you're a Republican, you can go along with it because you know what? I'm going to get what I want. Um, and, you know, I, I understand that politics is transactional, but, but there is a point. There is a breaking point. And I, I think the breaking point we should all agree on right now is when it comes to our elections. You can't lie about elections. There's yeah. a reason why January 6th is an important date. We need to have a peaceful transfer of power when someone loses. That is, if, if we don't have that anymore, we, do, we don't have anything. Like we can't yeah. argue about immigration, abortion, taxes, spending, when we can't agree on who is in charge. When people start storming, like you can't, you, you don't have that, you have nothing else. And so- you know, I think I want people to watch Republicans in office now. And these are the tells. Do they acknowledge Donald Trump as a former president? Or are they still calling him President Trump 45? Because mm. you look at these press releases from people like even Marco Rubio, 
the 45th president, Donald Trump. They will not say the former president. That is a problem. That is wow. a problem for good guys like Marco Rubio because they're still playing the game. Mm-hmm. Second test. Do they believe the election was fair and Joe Biden is the rightful winner? Because right now there are all kinds, you know, I, I, I used to think that the charges from Democrats or Republicans are just about voter suppression and blah, blah, blah. We're fake. I, I think it's real now. I very much think it's real because there's all kinds of um, state actors trying to restrict voting based on Trump's election lie. Trump said the election was rigged. So, okay, you know, I don't want to have absentee balloting, balloting anymore. Why? Why? It, work, it actually works great. It works really good. There are states that have drop boxes. You get it sent to your house. You take it to, you know, official government office. You drop it off. They look at you. Why are we making voting hard? I question anyone that makes voting harder without any evidence. You know, I, I like photo ID laws. Those are great. But saying that everyone has to go stand in line on a certain day between the hours of eight and five is mm-hmm. not good. That is not good. We shouldn't be afraid of people voting. And so I want to make it safe and secure. That's great. But even in Georgia, in Georgia, where they had expanded absentee balloting, right? They had times early voting where you could come in. They counted those dang votes three times over. With They counted them every which way possible. They found nothing. The only thing that Brad Raffensperger and Brian Kemp did was their dang job to vote, <laughs> yeah. to count the votes and certify it. And most of the Republican Party, led by Donald Trump, put the mob against them. Like, I have mm-hmm. a huge problem with that. And mm-hmm. so that's that, for me, is everything going into 2022 and beyond. Are we going to get people to vote in a safe and secure way? Or are people going to restrict voting based on a big dang lie? So that's, that's, yay. That's awesome. (laughs) And it's really uh, helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Amanda, the, the, the last question I I have for you, um, is, is what's, what's next for, for you? Um, you know, like, are you, are you going to write a, another book called, I told you so, um, (laughs) (laughs) or (laughs) it's just the the, the same book with bigger, bigger, the prophetess, (laughs) the prophetess. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Like I said, this has been a choose your own adventure for me. I don't have a lot. I don't have any plans. Um, you know, I'm working at CNN, you know, people have contracts there for one or two years. Um, nothing, nothing in media is guaranteed. Nothing in media and politics is guaranteed. Um, and so I'm writing for the bulwark, which keeps me busy, Mm -hmm. but I'm always, I'm always looking for ways I can be helpful. And so I just try to, you know, let, let God do the work and do my best along the way. That, that's my plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds that's like a great that, plan. It does sound like a great plan. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I want to just thank you again for, uh, yes. spending the time, um, with, with Josh and myself. It, it really means a lot. I think our, our listeners are really going to, going to benefit, um, from your perspective. They should buy the book. Um, you know, and, and, um, yeah, you, you've given us a lot to think about, especially with regard to, you know, the Republican Party and being a conservative. Um, did you have any uh, final words, Josh? No, thank you. I mean, I do. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thank it was so a pleasure. Much. I'm glad you reached out. Um, I could just tell it was going to be a good thing based on the thoughtful email uh, you guys sent. So I appreciate getting to know you. Oh, Same here. Awesome. Yeah. And we'd love to, to have you back sometime. Sounds good. 
All right. Thanks. <laughs> bye bye, guys. Okay. Thank you for joining us today. If you dig what we're doing here, it is super easy to follow us. You can go to our site, politicsandreligion.us. That's with the and spelled out, A-N-D. Politicsandreligion.us. And we're on all the socials, at TP and R pod. You know, TP and R pod for talking politics and religion pod. And here's a big way you can support us by becoming one of our patrons. You can even become a producer or executive producer of our program and have a lot more say in who we bring on, the kinds of questions we explore, or just help us keep the lights on. But mostly, we really appreciate you giving us a listen. So for the whole team here at Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam. <laughs>